Good evening and welcome to another edition of the Gelsnet Podcast, the independent Rangers podcast by fans for fans, where all the content is absolutely free. Coming to you in association with Forest Precision Engineering. I'm your host tonight, Brian Archer, and we're here for the final episode in our mini-series of World Cup bonus pods as we look back on the final and the third and fourth place playoff. As always for these bonus episodes, I'm joined by the World Cup Encyclopedia himself, Mr Alex Anderson. Alex, how are you doing and how are you feeling now that the dust has settled and the curtain is drawn on the World Cup 2022? Hey, I'm absolutely um, dazed and confused, Brian. It's, uh, I'm kind of utterly sated and uh, absolutely sickened as well. We all, it, It's just been crazy. Uh, it was always going to be, wasn't it, that the, the most kind of sickening host in World Cup history was going to end up producing uh, the greatest game maybe in the history of the World Cup. And so we're all thoroughly confused politically and uh, morally. Yeah, it's just been a, a different classmate, absolutely different class. You keep calling me a World Cup encyclopedia, by the way. All it is is I'm really old. So I've just lived, I've just been around long enough and been boring enough to pick up a few facts here and there. Um, I would always warn people to thoroughly check out any of my facts. I think about 25% of them are right, but the rest, you're, you're on your own with them, you know. <laughs> Well, we'll try and sum up as best we can, but I want to start, as we always tend to do on these podcasts, with a bit of brief Rangers chat. Um, we obviously play Aberdeen um, tomorrow night at the time of recording. Um, we're recording on the Monday evening. Um, now, we know how Jim Goodwin will have his team up for this. They're, all, they're always up for the game from Rangers Company Town. We know you know, how Jim Goodwin likes to set up his team. We've seen, you know, I think it was well documented at the weekend. Um, they played pretty defensive. Didn't have a huge amount of possession. I don't think they registered a shot on target. Um, how difficult a challenge do you think Aberdeen are going to pose? I think it's going to be quite interesting um, because when they came to Ibrox under Goodwin earlier this season, they took an absolute leathering because they did come at us. They opened up. Uh, they tried to play us at football. Um, and a lot of that came down the wing, so I'd be interested to see how young Adam Devine uh, gets on in this very different atmosphere to, to Ibrox the other night. But uh, I think it's yourself, Colin, um, and Chris were talking about in last night's pod. I really enjoyed the, the Sunday night, the main the main pod. Goodwin's come under serious pressure. I think it was Colin was pointing out that actually Willie Miller, you know, the, the captain of the Aberdeen Cup winners, Cup winning team, the, the Aberdeen legend. It, it was a surrender by Aberdeen the way they played or didn't play Celtic on Sunday. So that puts them under pressure to come at us. But then you're in a situation where Aberdeen always want to come at us, come at us, come at Rangers uh, at Pataudry anyway. They're under pressure to do that from their fans. So I, I don't know if it's going to confuse Goodwin. I don't know if it's going to confuse Aberdeen. Or is it actually going to be a case of it's Rangers, we want to go all out attack against them anyway. I'd, one of the great things about watching this World Cup has been knowing that Rangers weren't playing at, at the weekend. I completely, I'm not say I completely forgot the Celtic were playing, but I was completely disinterested. I just got myself organised um, for the, the third, fourth place playoff. I sat there and watched, I think it was about half time or something. I eventually checked out what had happened at Pataudry. I'd seen on Twitter, obviously, I'd been tweeting various things, as I always do, in boring fashion, about the, the, the third, fourth place match at the World Cup. And I'd noticed me tweets from, oh, you know, my Rangers pals just saying things about, you know, oh, Aberdeen were woeful, Aberdeen were terrible. So I thought it'd be three or four nothing. Uh, to Celtic and so I checked out the score and they scored late on I was glad I hadn't paid attention live um, when Celtic had actually scored the winner late on but I looked at the stats and that Aberdeen had two shots on goal or like two two shots on target and I think something like 10 shots the whole game and Celtic had like 30 odd shots and it's like that is even by the standards you know that we expect uh, Aberdeen to sink to against Celtic that seems particularly bad 
I get why he's done it. I think Jim Goodwin will maybe think the fact that we lost one 0 uh, to Celtic, who have got a pretty potent attack and have been known to put as many as eight past Aberdeen in in the past. You'll think, well, they only won with a goal three minutes from the end, so it's kind of proven, you know, that, that I should have played like this. But I think the criticism he's come under publicly will make. I mean, you'll have to come at Rangers, and it's all about us exploiting that. Yeah, that could benefit us more if they come out and attack as opposed to kind of sitting in and parking the bus, so to speak. I hope so. I, I, I think um, the way it went against Hibs the other night and, and Thursday night, it's a strange thing, isn't it? Just now, you know, you've got World Cup matches on a Saturday afternoon in December, yeah. but Rangers are playing Thursday, Tuesday, Friday. It's, you know, your head gets a bit mashed yeah. for the calendar at this time of year anyway. Every day feels like Sunday across the Christmas period, but this is... It's uh, it's making it extra confusing, but I think the way we played against Hibs, they can they kind of sat deep and hit us in the counter quite well. They knew when to when to do that, and I think that kind of confused us. Um, we're getting used to Michael Beale's new system and what have you, but I I, I would like to think Aberdeen having to come at us will will suit Rangers, and I'm really I'm not saying excited yet. I'm a bit you know trepidatious, but I'm I'm also interested to see what Michael Beale can do for us on the road because this has always been the problem the past few years. This time last year, particularly, um, everybody remembers us losing three 0 at Parkhead, and that seems to be the moment where everybody thinks well, that's when Geo threw away the lead he built up uh, before the Christmas break or before the winter break. But is this this thing, it's the exact? It was actually Aberdeen at Petodre. You know, dropping points there, yeah, and then a, a disaster at Ross County. Then we had yeah. we went over Livingston at Ibrox in between times. Uh, Scotty Arfield scored late on, and it felt as if we were, we're, we're on our way again. But no, we've got the, those two games on the bounce now in, in the space of a week. They kind of hors d'oeuvres to disaster, if you like, <laughs> that we got last year. Uh, so we've got we've got Celtic get home this time, obviously. But we really want to we, we we really want to make sure we're getting maximum points on the road. And I would, I would hope that Aberdeen coming at us will, will suit Rangers. Michael Beale's pretty intense. That seems to be what we need just now. He's an intense character. He got Rangers playing intensely in the second half the other night. Uh, but it can go, that intensity can go quite wrong, particularly when we've got Nogat Cholak. We're relying on Alfie again, and he has a, a pretty dodgy record uh, at Pataudry and against Aberdeen in general in terms of staying on the park. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Yeah, one of the interesting things that came out of the press conference today was that Michael Buick said he'll have central defenders available this time, which was nice to hear. Yeah, um, strange. He mentioned Goldson's back in the squad, and uh, Leon King did the press conference as well, so I'm assuming that he's fit and available again. How important is it going to be to try and get a settled defensive unit together, given the defensive oh, issues that we've seen against Hibs? I think it's absolutely crucial. Is that, I see... I've said this a few times, it, it, it's a bit cheesy, a bit corny, um, and a bit unfair perhaps, but you know, we were drawing one each for Liverpool at Ibrox, and then corner Goldsmith off injured and we conceded six goals. And I think that, in a nutshell, that kind of sums up how much we need Goldson himself, never mind what's been happening in general to our central defence. You, you couldn't make up, it's like the drummer for Spinal Tap, you know, you become a central defender at Ibrox, you're going to get injured. Uh, this season it's been absolutely terrible to the point where I thought I hey, should sign Ryan Portis, uh, because He's a centre half. The first thing that will happen is he'll get a career-ending injury. We can all laugh at him, you know. Yeah, so that'd been quite a good bit of revenge. No, we need. It was good to see Davis coming back, um, albeit just a, a wee kind of cameo at the end to kind of plug things up in the game against Hibs the other night. Yeah, ben Davis, and it'd be fantastic to get Goldson back. The fact he's in the squad, as opposed, to, I don't know if he's going to, he's going to start. Um, 
We'll need to wait and see, but it's great news to have him back. Uh, just this is actually one of the fixtures that you would want a fit Ben Davis and a fully fit Connor Golson uh, as your. It, it just provides the whole team. You know, it's, a, it's an old football adage, but if you've got your defence sorted, it, it makes the rest of the team feel so much more comfortable. And the sooner we get them back, the better, mate. Yeah, absolutely. Right now, we'll get on to talking about what we're here to talk about, and that is the World Cup. Um, now we'll start by talking about the third and fourth place playoff Croatia versus Morocco. Um, I've got a bit of a confession to make here, Alex. I sort of played up to the stereotype of uh, people thinking this game doesn't really matter because I didn't manage to catch it live. I fully intended on catching it live, but I had some Christmas shopping to do, so I didn't manage to catch it live. But what I did see from it um, is some cracking goals. It looked like a really decent game. And the other thing that pleased me was that it looked like two teams that genuinely wanted to win this. Um, Croatia were, you know, thoroughly delighted to win it and you could see Morocco were really upset to lose it in terms of they were having a right go at the referee. You could tell they did not want to lose that. Um, did it live up to your expectations? Yeah, it did. I'm, I, of course, I'm absolutely appalled with you, uh, Brian. It's actually, As you should be. I know after me giving it the hard sell the other night about why the third, fourth place playoff was, uh, it's, it's, it's really been disrespected throughout the history of the World Cup and everybody should make a point uh, of watching it. And I sat there and there's two goals uh, in the first nine minutes of the game ago, I was on Twitter giving it, there you go, that's why you should watch this game. You know, it's a, it's fantastic. And not only was it totally uh, overshadowed by the World Cup final itself the next day, um, but you you couldn't even watch it. The man I've been doing these pods with, try to, you know, try to persuade you, mate. No, you're quite right. I think if there's one game, I think what happens as well with a tournament like this, it, it's so intense, 64 games, people have got life stealed. You know, if you're going to have to... You know, explain to a partner, who, for example, who's maybe not as into football as you, that you want the television two days in a row, you know, on a Saturday and a Sunday, and it's it's not going to work. Um, you'd maybe best to drop the, the the third fourth place playoff. Um, I it's it was it was a really good game. Um, and I think it showed that if you get two teams in, for so many countries that play in this match, it's a way of kind of confirming, kind of augmenting the success that they've felt. You know, uh, and getting and getting that far. I think it's always a triumph. This is this is Croatia's third time in the the semi final stage of a World Cup. So I think it's still, they, they still know they're a, a small nation in terms of population, and it's a it's, it's a great achievement for them to get that far in any World Cup. And it was so good for them, so good to see them not in any way thinking this was beneath them after they got to the final of the last World Cup. Um, and I think same with Morocco, they were as you say, totally intense. A bit winning this, um, and it wasn't a bit you know getting any kind of sense of pride or anything. They'd already exceeded that with their achievement and getting to the semi final of the World Cup. It was more about just saying, "Look, it's been a great World Cup. Let's celebrate that fact." And I kind of, it's usually in a kind of calmer fashion. You know, you usually get the the fourth place team will come up onto the podium at the end with the the third place team with their bronze yeah. medals. You know, and just kind of, ah, it was just a bit of a celebration of football today. No, Morocco really wanted that, and I think one of the things that it, it kind of became clear throughout the game with the commentators, I, was, I think it was only live on the BBC, were mentioning the fact that South Korea are the only other non-European or South American side to play in the third, fourth place playoff. As I was trying to say in, in my last pod, the USA reached the semi-finals in 1930, but they didn't, they didn't have a third. That's the only year there's been no third place team at the World Cup. So Morocco were basically had the chance to be the, the greatest ever finish at a World Cup by a team from neither South America nor uh, nor Europe, and, and they really they really took it badly when they when they didn't get it. 
Yeah, just as an indicator of how, you know, seriously Croatia did take this, I heard Michael Beale say at the Rangers press conference today that Barisic is still a baby Croatia because they're having, like, open-top bus parades in uh, Croatia to sort of celebrate their third place. Um, and that just kind of shows you how seriously they they took it and how much they wanted to win. In terms of the game of it, the game itself, was it just that Croatia just had too much quality in the end for Morocco or did injuries take its toll again? I think about both, mate. I think I think about both, Brian. Um, Croatia, they are just quality. Croatia, they really do have quality throughout. And I think it's not Morocco. There are a few injuries, and I think the injuries themselves come from the way they play. They've been so passionate, so energetic. I don't mean that in a patronising way. They've got plenty of tactical nous. I mean, the whole Morocco squad—they're all, they're all playing La Liga. You know, they they they, they play in the Serie A. You know, they're, they're in the top flight in England, Germany, what have you. This—it's not a bunch of amateurs. Uh, who play in one of the African lesser light leagues? They they, they know what they're doing, um, but the way they played in this World Cup, and I think also not just the not just the physical energy they put into the games, but I think the emotional toll of being you know kind of spearheading like a pioneers for Africa, um, creating history. I think is in itself draining. You know the the emotion that took out of them. I think you saw that in the game against France in the semi-final. The French are used to getting to this stage of a World Cup. Morocco was the first time ever. And on top of the actual injuries, which are probably exacerbated by players trying harder than they normally would, you know, really giving it, really giving it their all. But the, the Croats, they're just a fantastic football nation. Um, the, the goal, they opened the scoring, you know, early doors, and it was just a, a, a beautiful goal. You know, kind of, you're expecting Modric to take a free kick, but he steps over it. Uh, what's the guy's name? I can't, I can't remember the fella. Um, that actually takes the, the free kick, he puts it in, and Perisic, who I was hoping was going to score and become only the second guy ever to have scored in both a World Cup final and a, a bronze medal match, uh, he goes in there and does something he's been specialising in since he was his days at uh, Wolfsburg, was a backwards header, uh, absolutely beautiful backwards header, probably the best backwards header I've seen at a World Cup since uh, Jared Borghetti scored for Mexico against Italy in 2002. Uh, look that one up on YouTube, it's an absolute cracker of a goal. But, he gets it back and then, then comes big Gvardiol to, to head it into the net. Basically, Morocco go up the go up the park, Gvardiol then brings down the Moroccan player and the free kick comes in from ZH and it's Modric who gets the inadvertent backward header uh, that sets up Dari for Morocco's equaliser straight away. So it's like nine minutes in, bang, bang, they're both going for it. Uh, it was it was a cracking game and it just gets settled uh, just before half time. Uh, Orsic is an absolutely fantastic uh, shot for the edge of the box, curling it right into the, the, the top far corner. Goalkeeper got a hand to it, but in it went. And um, they were bouncing about that podium with their bronze medals. Uh, really, really tough for themselves, Croatia, while the Moroccans were having an absolute meltdown at the Qatari referee. <laughs> yeah. Now, in terms of both teams and sort of where they go from here, do you I'm pretty sure a lot of people have said they're an aging team. You know, there's a lot of speculation about whether Modric will continue. I think he's hinted that he will now. But do you think they've got it in them to go again, looking at, you know, the Euros and then potentially the next World Cup? And then Morocco, have they sort of set the benchmark almost for kind of African nations for where they, they kind of need to try and get to? And, and do you think they've got it in them to maybe go further at the next World Cup? I'd say yes in, in both cases, um, yeah, because... The Croats always do it again. They all they always come again. Um, I think they 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 kind of poor Euros last summer, but you know they still managed to get into the knockout stages. Um, something Scotland have never done. The uh, the first time I ever saw Croatia actually happened to be Euro '96. Talking about finals tournaments um, 
Euro 96 I went to like 10 games because because it was over the border it was down down in England and it was so easy to get tickets uh, for that tournament it was before tournaments became like automatic sellouts and uh, I saw Croatia at Hillsborough the night they beat uh, Denmark 3-0 and uh, Davos Sukar was doing his little pirouette after lobbing Peter Schmeichel from practically the halfway line they were absolutely sensational they kind of announced themselves to the, the world that night I was, I was at the game at Old Trafford where Germany put them out in the quarterfinals Next tournament, they get to the semi-finals, France 98 at the World Cup. They're on the last World Cup final in that same uh, finish in bronze again. So no matter who they've got playing for them, you, you, they're a bit of a production line. You think they're going to come through, they're going to do it again. But the fact that it's another one of these benefits for the oldsters uh, because this World Cup has been played in the winter, this is, I think, it benefited Messi uh, being in the middle of the season. It means it's only 18 months to the next Euros. So Modric... I think he should hang on and just just see what see what he can do because he's an absolute joy to watch Modric and I would love to see him having uh, one more go in Morocco absolutely um, they've, they've they've set the benchmark for African teams and I I just hope it's not a bit like with the same thing with South Korea when South Korea and Japan hosted the two thousand and two World Cup you know South Korea got to the the, the semi finals they they lost the the third fourth place playoff to Turkey. But it was like, this is Asian football back. And it's got a massively high standard. You know, there's South Korean players playing at the very top level throughout Europe. Um, and I think it's the same with the African teams, that, that the players are playing at the very top level uh, throughout Europe. But when it comes to the national team, they've never quite sustained this level of success. So I would like to, I would like to see uh, the Moroccans leading the way and African teams doing much better in the World Cup in the future. But uh, I'm, I'm going to wait and see in that one. I don't know if it'll actually uh, come to fruition. Yeah, I um, agree with you on both those points. Now, on to the, the main event itself. Um, <laughs> I'll be honest, Alex, I struggled to put the agenda together for this game. Uh, what can I you really say? I didn't know where to start, so I'm just going to ask you for your thoughts on it. And was this the best game you've seen? Taking into account the context and what was at stake and what was an offer for both teams, surely that it's got to be right up there. It's certainly the best World Cup final I've seen, and um, I'm pretty sure it is the best World Cup final. Uh, I've only missed you, ten. You must have seen them all, right? Aye, I, I, I've only missed. I've only missed ten of them. Um, is this, um, just, we've been talking about that before. I suddenly realised in this World Cup, I've just started counting them, and it's like this is the 22nd World Cup, and the first one I remember was was Argentina '78. Um, I think that was the 11th. So I'm pretty much more than half the age of the World Cup. It's a bit depressing, um, but as this this kind of game just makes you feel like a kid again. Um, it was absolutely phenomenal. I've a context is all you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I think especially as a neutral, um, you're thinking how how does it you know how can I judge it properly? Well, that's the type you can judge it properly. Um, and even though we, we both were there's certain things we want to see happen in this game. I remember, for example, the, the 2005 Champions League final, Liverpool um, against Milan. That was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, Steven Gerrard's kind of bossing that in the second half, the way both Mbappe and Messi bossed this game uh, in both halves, or all four halves. Um, I, I remember seeing a cracking game. I think it was uh, Irvin Vicks 3, Ardia Thistle 3 in the um, Ayrshire District League back in 2014, a game that made the papers and all that for, for riots and what have you. It was, it was a decider on that league. Uh, I was a neutral there that day. I get called I get called uh, Irvin Scum by an Ardia Thistle fan the way out. And I had to tell them, I'm actually a Drossen Winton over scum, mate. You know, so that left him looking a bit confused. Um, just the way I felt a bit like scum sometimes watching this this World Cup with everything that's going on in the background uh, in Qatar. But I, I think when you throw in the fact that it's a World Cup final, a game that so often fails to live up to its billing, that's it's it's definitely 
one of the most amazing games uh, I've ever seen in my life, and I think I think it is the best uh, the best World Cup final ever. Argentina for me dominated for eight minutes. France were absolutely nowhere near it, and as I was watching it, I was kind of thinking back to what I'd said in our previous pod, where I'd felt France had been playing at least a level or two below what they were capable of. Now, I know they'd had a virus in the camp, so I do wonder how much that impacted that performance for the first 80 minutes. But I just felt like this was another example of France playing below what they're capable of with the talent they've got in the park. I think I said it um, in the last pod. I felt that, you know, player for player, France had a better team. I, I felt Argentina would win it because of the narrative around Messi and all that goes with that. But, you know, if you look at players from France that would get into that Argentina team and vice versa... I think there's, you know, player for player, I think France would come out the better in that. Um, but what did you think about how France played, particularly for those first 80 minutes? I really, really wasn't impressed with it at all. I thought France were actually getting a bit of grit about them as, as the tournament. I thought they were timing it to perfection. I thought they looked like a team who were going to go and on and retain the trophy because they looked like a team who were defending their title successfully. They say the game, they played Morocco in the semi-final Um they hadn't kept a clean sheet up until that point. And then it's in the semi-final that they keep their first clean sheet of the tournament. And they always seem to have somebody there, but I think it's I've almost jinxed them by I've been going on all throughout these pods we've been doing, mate. I've, I've gone on and on about how France, no matter how many injuries they seem to get before the tournament, was like Pogba and Benzema and Kante, they're bringing in other players of massive quality who who were doing the business. Um and yeah, I, yesterday I got to the point where I, I kind of tweeted. I think maybe yesterday morning that I thought, or Sunday morning, I thought the only way Argentina are going to win this is is a France who are going to, in their second straight World Cup final, trying to retain it. They go through something similar to what Brazil went through in 1998 when France beat them for France to win the first World Cup in in the final. Brazil were trying to retain it in 2002 um, and they had... Ronaldo, the original Ronaldo, the phenomenon. Everyone's seen the documentary in the BBC just now. Um, still on the iPlayer, if you haven't seen it, it's worth a watch. He had a fit or something. Something happened and he couldn't make the game. And he, he was taken out of the team sheet and then suddenly he was back in the team and it just totally underperformed and it, it ruined the whole vibe. France yesterday, if you've been watching this tournament, Giroud's been fantastic. He goes off after 41 minutes. Um, Griezmann has been... I think a contender for the golden ball. He just never turned up at all. He gets subbed off like in a 70 odd minutes. Uh, there was too many players underperforming for it not to have been a virus uh, that's affected them. They all looked like guys who'd had the flu or had something, you know, a stomach bug or something that was kind of draining them. It wasn't just, I don't think it was just tournament sickness or a, a lack of mentality because we saw what they did uh, later on in the game. I think they, they, they definitely uh, were suffering in Argentina who I, I wasn't saying for sure before the match that I thought Argentina were going to lose. Um, I just knew that Argentina would have to really extend. And, and I thought they, they had a great chance because of their fighting spirit because Argentina have got that kind of nous about them. They'll, they'll, uh, they've built up a real kind of, uh, kind of a, a real heft about them during this tournament. And I thought they would need that to the max. And they didn't in the first 70 minutes. They got to the point, Argentina, where it was so easy that they actually took their foot off the gas and it nearly cost them. Um, but it was France definitely for me didn't uh, didn't actually turn up there was something wrong with them look Brian I've never I, we were going to this game excuse me sniffing I think I might be crying actually maybe I've got that same virus as the French but I think we were watching this we we're watching this and there was two things that we were talking about mainly the whole world has been talking about uh, going into this final is it going to be Messi finally getting to win the World Cup 
or is it going to be Mbappe? Is this the passing of the battle and the passing of the torch? And we got both because yeah. you got the the guy who's young enough to go on and win another World Cup or three uh, with the looks of Mbappe. He ends up in the losing team, but he wins the golden boot, you know, and he, he becomes only the second guy ever to score a hat trick uh, in the final of the World Cup. He, he's the only the second guy ever to score in successive World Cup finals. And as I've always been keen to point out in this in this pod, Vava of Brazil, the only other player to do it uh, 70 years ago, he finished his football career as manager of a club in Al-Rayan, Qatar. So it was almost like written in the stars that his record was going to be equaled uh, in a Qatar World Cup final. Mbappe, it was only this morning it struck me, all the stats going around your head. France have scored seven goals in the last two finals of the World Cup. Last, last two finals the World Cup, Mbappe scored four. He scored more goals than any other player ever in the final of the World Cup. He's, he's, he's going to be 24 tomorrow. Joe Jordan of Scotland has scored four goals in the finals, the tournament, the finals tournament of the World Cup. That's Scotland's record goal scorer in the actual finals of the World Cup. And it took him three different tournaments to do that. And Kylian Mbappe has scored as many goals as that in the actual final itself. I've never seen a performance like it. Messi himself was also just on it and completely living up to what anybody who was wanting Messi to win the World Cup, completely living up to what they wanted him to do, scoring the first goal, um, seeming like he had it in the bag. And it was just, it was mesmeric. And by the time we got into the extra time period and then and then the injury time within the extra time, my head was gone. I had no idea what was happening. And you had that moment where Mbappe, I think it was the very last kick of the ball. They brought on Dybala, Argentina, yeah. to, to prepare for the penalties. But he ends up, he's the man who stops Mbappe scoring a fourth goal. Because Mbappe's drifted in from that left wing, beating one, beating two, beating three, and he's just he's just ready to pull the trigger. And Dybala comes in there. He's not been doing much for Argentina these days and just gets his gets his foot in the way. And by that point, you were thinking, yeah, this is going to go in because it was it, it turned into that kind of match. It was absolutely stunning, Brian. Yeah, I think we can all agree that we got the classic that we wanted. And it went all the way. Um, the penalties, as we know, and the one uh, man I want to talk to you about is uh, Amy Martinez, and uh, I think be fair to call them mind games. I've heard yeah. some people criticise him for this. I've, I've heard one journalist refer to it as, as disgusting his antics. Uh, what did you think of it personally? I loved it. If Alan McGregor wants to adopt some of that in terms of throwing the ball away, all that sort of stuff, I'm all for it. Uh, what did you think of it? I think it's down to personality. I think if, if that's how you need to get yourself psyched, I think it's, I think it's as much about Martinez himself uh, feeling that he's winning every little inch, he's getting every little advantage he possibly can uh, as it is about putting off the, the French players. But it definitely, sure, I mean, it definitely put him off um, when he put it straight past the post. And I think, to be honest, Martinez was down that side anyway. I think he, he might have saved it anyway if he'd got it inside the post. Um, it is, it's, it's not... I'm not into that kind of thing. Um, it would I wouldn't like to see Rangers players doing it. I'm, I'm not into that kind of um, jobby housery. But I think that it suits Argentina. Um, they come from, there's, there, was a, there was a lovely piece. There's a, a book I've got sitting up there behind me, um, Angels with Dirty Faces um, by uh, your man Wilson. And he he was on the BBC doing a wee, doing a little kind of snippet uh, about Argent, the Argentinian mentality and how it's basically about them um, being the football grew up in the kind of poor areas um, and they all had to learn to be 
you know, a bit cheap, a bit kind of dodgy, a bit cheeky, you know, and a bit, you know, a bit hard as well to stick up for themselves. There's no referees when they're playing football in these little uh, tight kind of car park sized pitches that they had, probably made of concrete and what have you. Um, so it's part of the legend of the, your, your, your classic uh, cheeky, chappy, you know, sly but super skillful Argentinian footballer. And uh, it's part of the Argentinian culture. I think it's one of those things that when you're watching it as a neutral, you can really enjoy it. If it was happening against you, if it was happening to your team, you would be absolutely raging. Reminds me a bit of Jose Mourinho. I always found him really entertaining. Um, and then he started poking, you know, Barcelona managers in the eyes and stuff like that. And I thought, no, he's getting a bit much. And and he's thinking, if he did that to my club, if if we were the rivals, if Rangers were ever playing uh, competitively against a Jose Mourinho team, you would probably despise him within two seconds. But it certainly worked. And it. I don't know if he doesn't need it. Um, as I say, it might be what he needs to get himself psyched up, but he made an absolutely fantastic save um, in the penalty shootout again. I'm sure many actually misses his, you know, so he doesn't have to make the save so much. But he did the same against the, the Dutch in the penalty shootout in the quarterfinal. Two fantastic saves, uh, one after the other. And I actually thought, of all his antics, the one that um, anybody with kids, uh, I hope they, they weren't watching, but went up onto the, the podium at the end to get his golden glove, uh, to get his... Uh, award as the best goalkeeper of the tournament, thoroughly deserved. He took that big, uh, strange trophy, Golden Glove, and he kind of did a very strange um, act with it, which I actually thought was, it made him look like a complete idiot, but it also completely took the mick out the preposterousness of that whole uh, presentation ceremony, the, the whole stuff with Infantino and the, the Emirs, and it was a real, I think it was a really apt comment um, funnily enough, for the whole World Cup being in Qatar, uh, just it just kind of gave it the disrespect that that decision deserved. But I, I thought it was absolutely fantastic, Brian. But it was a, it's that's why it was a game that different for him to do that after everything they'd been through in that game. I think it shows that although the Argentinians seem to be super emotional and all, all the time, they, they get the emotion right. There's a deep kind of cynical steel uh, running through their their mentality. Uh, I watched that game yesterday and, you know, they've got, for example, Di Maria, who, you know, had only played nine minutes of the tournament. He comes on, he wins that penalty. He just takes, uh, is it Dembele? Takes, takes him to pieces, makes him buy the penalty. And then the goal, the second goal that Argentina scored, this magical, you know, kind of length of the pitch move, um, in which Messi actually ruined it by being the only guy to take two touches. You know, it was, it was, a, it was a beautiful move. And you're thinking, that's, the Argentine, and the thing, Diego Diego Maradona, no longer with us. When he won the World Cup with Argentina in 1986, I think it's the 29th of June 1986, and Messi was born. I think it's the 26th of June, the following year, less than a year after it. It's 36 years ago. Argentina won the World Cup. Messi is in his 36th year uh, as, as a human being, and that ball, he 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 plays the ball to McAllister. He plays it across to Di Maria to stick it away in the 36th minute. And I just thought, it's in the stars. This is just magical. It's fantastic. And I think the Argentinians thought that as well. Di Maria himself, he's then on a list. He then joins the list temporarily. It's only Gerd Müller, my all-time stats hero of, of, of Germany, who scored the win on the World Cup final and the final of the Euros. And your Ronaldo, Brazilian Ronaldo, scored the winner World Cup final in 2002 and has also scored the winner in the Copa America. I know his Confederation tournament and the World Cup final. De Maria scored the winner in the last Copa America. There he was. It looked like he'd scored the winner uh, in the World Cup final as well. And uh, Mbappe, what he then did to them 
um, and to have them in tears, Demaria's on on tears on the bench because he can't believe it's been taken away. He wasn't thinking about the the the, the statistical record of Copa America and World Cup. He was just thinking about Argentina winning the thing. To have it taken away from them and uh, to still come back, it was it was different class. I've never seen anything like it. It was the the extra time, the injury time and extra time. We had a uh, Kermani going through on goal. We're having that header, and the, and yeah. the fact that it was the last minute, the hundred twentieth minute, he has the, the header, and Bappy puts the ball on his head, um, and he just can't. He's got the shaved head, and it's like if he hadn't yeah. shaved it, he would probably have scored. And you're thinking that guy's got to live that for the rest of his life. Oh no, we go three minutes into extra time, and the last minute of extra time and injury time, uh, of of extra time, he's through on Martinez again, and Martinez saves it. Um, he has a shot, and Martinez saves it, and then. You get that bit with Mbappe pulling the ball in uh, from the left-hand side, beating three or four players, and you're thinking, as I was saying, this just uh, it wouldn't be beyond the, the bounds. In fact, it's actually more in keeping with everything that's been going on if he just slams this into the top corner, but uh, Dybala, Dybala got in the way. It was absolutely mesmeric. Yeah, it would have been cruel, I think, for Argentina to have uh, lost it after everything they put in for the first few minutes. Um, I know. Did this game unequivocally answer... The question that we've all been asking, is Messi the greatest of all time? Did he need this win to kind of cement that? Or does it even matter? Um, I think it certainly matters. It, it, certainly, it certainly matters. It, it puts him right in, uh, right up there in the top you know, two, three players ever. Uh, I, think it, I think it confirms that. It definitely puts to bed the whole Ronaldo thing. Remember him? You know, the, the competition he was having with Ronaldo who, you know, he scored, uh, he didn't score, it was like he would get taken off after 25 minutes in the final of the Euros, also beating Deschamps France, as you were saying, uh, in one of the other pods, it's quite ironic that um, it was Deschamps France that uh, Ronaldo picked up his only major international uh, trophy against in the final, but, you know, he didn't even score the goal, it was 0-0 when he went off and, and that kind of thing, and that's definitely, I think it's also the stuff I've, I've heard, you know, the, the, the Der Spiegel articles and all that, I'm quite happy to see Ronaldo um, being overshadowed finally in this uh, kind of the, the two-man race, which has been quite stunning in terms of the stats have been they've been running up over the last decade and more. But yeah, it had I think the other thing is it 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 takes away any doubt whatsoever about him being as good, if not better, than, than Maradona. I still can't help thinking that the style of football in those days under Diego, you watch some of the footage that the tackles that were going, it was assaults. Yeah. You know, you were allowed you were yeah. just allowed to kick people uh, in those days. The the state of the pitches in those days, and the stuff he did on it was absolutely uh, phenomenal. But Messi is a different game just now, but he's helped make it a different game. And I, I couldn't help, I couldn't help but will him on. I couldn't help but just, just apart from anything else, it's like, I don't know, it's, almost, it's, it's one of the things that's up there. You've been talking about it for so long. You know, any pub argument, and a bore like me especially, when it always gets the debate, who's the greatest? And it's for like 10 years at least, it's been Messi, is he the greatest? He's got to win a World Cup. He's got to win a World Cup to even be quoted really um, which was totally unfair by the time he dragged into two finals but now to, to see him winning it it almost felt like a personal relief because you know that's now that's now happened I don't know mate I don't know I think Pele as I say has scored there's a lot of stuff about, about how Pele's won three World Cups and he did you know um, but in 1963, he scored in the final in uh, 58, he scored two goals in that final and he scored uh, in the final in 1970 when Brazil won those two World Cups Um but he, in 1962, so he's done better there straight away than Messi by maybe scoring two finals and, and winning it twice. In 1962 in Chile, 
he scored against Mexico in the first game for Brazil in the group, and then he got injured against Czechoslovakia, who Brazil then beat uh, in the final. Um, so he, he only really scored one goal and played one and a bit games in, in that World Cup. So his involvement, um, good enough, you know, but not 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 as as I, I think saying that he's won the World Cup three times is kind of overstating that a bit when it comes to the comparisons. But Messi, he's played more games in the World Cup now than anybody else, more, more World Cup finals matches than anybody else. He's put himself. I mean, that was a great thing about that game yesterday. They kept catching each other, Mbappe and Messi, on the all-time scorers list. Yeah. There's now, I mean, Messi overtook Pele in the course, equaled and overtook Pele in the course of that game in terms of who scored more goals in, in the World Cup. There's only three players now that have scored more goals than Messi in the history of the World Cup. He's he's won his second Golden Ball. Um, he's got more appearances for Argentina than anybody else, more goals for Argentina than anybody else, and that's him. He's now got uh, that World Cup, and he's had a losing final. So it's exactly the same as Maradona, and he's added all these other blandishments to it as well. He's just. I think it's hard to argue against him now. That's the main thing. Yeah. Um, only another kind of special talent that we've seen on show. Yeah, I want to talk about Mbappe. He obviously wins the golden boot for the tournament. He scores a hat-trick in the final. You know, he, even, he then even converts his penalty in the shootout. Um, and he still doesn't lift the trophy. I mean, how cruel is that? And as you were saying earlier, where we watching the baton being passed, I think, and Mbappe, correct me if I'm wrong, the stats, man, it might only be four goals away from the all-time record of goals at a World Cup. And, you know, he's only 23. Chances are he's going to go on and surpass that and set new records himself. Um, but, yeah, just kind of, how, how good can he be? And could he be the next one where we talk about in 10 years' time? Is he the, could he go on and surpass Messi in terms of that conversation of the greatest of all time? Absolutely, I think that's what I think that's what we're talking about. Messi, he's put himself in the in the pantheon. You know, he's definitely it's him, Pele, Maradona. You know, for me, that's 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 the three you're kind of looking at uh, just now. But Mbappe can blow it out of the water. Mbappe can be un unquestionably, undoubtedly the greatest of all time, and that's that, that's a great thing. I didn't feel sorry for him um, because probably because I'm an old guy, so you know I don't feel sorry for young guys. But um, I'm. I have more sympathy for for Messi, I suppose. And, and again, that's crazy as well. It's we'll have a debate about that later on about all the kind of things that go on in Qatar. And Messi's, you know, he's an ambassador for Saudi Arabia and he's got he's got millions and billions of pounds, you know. But this is the thing about football. You know, you, it just comes down to it comes down to, you know, is this guy going to win this cup? Is this going is he going to win this game? You, you just you get involved and there's a feeling, uh, a huge empathy there. It's that's it's the people's game, uh, because you connect with guys like that. But I I saw Mbappe yesterday just put on a display the like of which I've never seen. You know, it was ferocious. Argentina were absolutely dominating. They got their second goal, as I say, the 36th minute. And then Deschamps takes off two players, 41 minutes. One of them being Giroud, a guy who's been absolutely fantastic. So he takes Giroud up the 41 minutes. It's like that's when they stopped getting beat. That's when they stopped Argentina scoring on them. Half an hour later into the game, like 70 odd minutes, he takes off. And De Maria had gone off by this point because um, he's not, he's not fully fit. He'd he'd gone off for Argentina. Uh, Acuna comes on and he's not the same kind of player at all, which meant it was stretching them up front a bit, uh, Argentina. And it <laughs> he, he brings on, was it Kingsley Coleman and uh, Kuamani at that point? Oh, no, it was Stingway. What's his name? The, oh, Kamavinga. Kamavinga, that's it. They felt like Real Madrid. I mean, he's. He's won a Champions League as a sub uh, this year, so I can't feel too sympathetic if I'm playing for Real Madrid in the Champions League final against Liverpool. But 
Camavinga and Coleman come on and they made they just cranked it up to the point where this was France were now going for it. And Mbappe just it was when he's you get the penalty and then <laughs> you get the you're, you're thinking every, every even the commentators are kind of rubbing their hands, oh there's ten minutes to go, this could get interesting. No bang, that's it's two each. It just, it's just within two seconds, it's two and it's messy. This is the thing that the, the, the up and down nature of the whole game, that the potential for triumph and tragedy in every kind of passing minute of the game, it's messy who Coleman takes the ball off. You know, he t- yeah, takes yeah, the ball off him. Yeah. Plays a lovely ball to Rabio, and he just gets it straight to um, Mbappe, who's like, he heads it down uh, yeah. to, I think it's Turam, to play a one-two, a beautiful one-two, and that slide and fall and volley uh, into the bottom corner. Absolutely iconic goal. It just your heart just stopped. It was it was tremendous. My heart was breaking a wee bit for for Messi and for Argentina at that point. And I don't even think I don't even know if it's genuine empathy and, and emotion for Messi. It's more just the the debate, you know. I'm thinking about Connie have to hear this again. Messi's played more World Cup finals matches than else, blah blah blah. But he never won it. Is he really the greatest? And it's like ah, oh, I just I need this debate to be kind of over. Yeah. I need him just to win the World Cup. And we can get that. We can get that out the road. Um, but. And then you go into and the whole thing is Argentina then realise Mbappe's turning to pieces down the left. So they get rid of Molina, um, who'd played really well in the first half for them. They bring on uh, is it Manio, the name is uh, Gonzalo <laughs> Manio. And he he puts up the ball up an extra time. He puts the ball in for the lovely little one-two uh, kind of intricate move that went on for Messi to eventually force it over the line to put them in the lead. And then he concedes the penalty in the last minute of injury time. Um, and um, drill deep in, in uh, extra time is 127 minutes. Um, <laughs> it's like 100, so 117 minutes. It's like he look, he feels like he's ruined it. It's the penalty, you yes. know. Mbappe puts that away. He feels he's cost Argentina the World Cup, Manuel, and then he scores the winning penalty and the penalty shoot. So it was just it summed up. It was it was absolutely all over the place. Um, you're, you're watching guys who could have been hung out to dry for the rest of their life. I was glad. Um, that uh, Colin Muani scored these scored this penalty in the yeah. shootout because that yeah. that guy, I, I don't care how many millions he's got, I don't even care that he's an Eintracht Frankfurt player. He went there after Seville. Um, he went there this season. Uh, I just my heart went out to him when he missed those two chances uh, yeah. right at the end of the extra time. And I think and it's going to be hard. It's going to be tough to live with himself. But as long as he sticks in the same team as Mbappe, like you're saying, Brian. Sorry, original question. I, if if Mbappe stays fit. And he's focused. That was a great thing. Yesterday. So many, so often you get players that are so hyped and they're so kind of so much is expected of them. Right throughout this World Cup, Mbappe and Messi have delivered almost yeah. every game. They have delivered. Yeah. You know, Messi ends up with seven goals. I think, and basically almost half the World Cup finals ever played. Seven goals will win you the the golden boot. Mbappe gets eight. You know, mm-hmm. I think I've only had. I think Ronaldo was an eight in two thousand and two. Other than that, you have to go back to. I think Gerd Müller getting 10 in 1970. It's a phenomenal achievement, as well as everything else. We're saying it would be the second hat-trick only ever scored in the World Cup final. Um, if he can stay fit and stay focused, you know, and stay away from the President Macron, who was just using him so for so many photo ops, just yeah. in really creepy fashion. Yeah. Not the creepiest thing we saw uh, in, in, in that uh, off the field in that game. But if he can just keep himself focused, there's no reason that him and that France team can't win another the next two World Cups. Um, and he can be undoubtedly undoubtedly the best of all time as long as he starts winning a few Champions League and balanced all in there as well yeah definitely I would agree with you there now I just wanted you to pick out a few more of your kind of players of the tournament we all know that Messi and Mbappe are the kind of two standouts but who were some other players that kind of caught your eye 
Uh, it's, it's absolutely terrible, but I, I, I've, I just can't help thinking about Argentina and France. That's it. They're, they're so because st- I don't think I don't think the, the, the overall quality of football in this tournament has been great. Um, it's, the drama has been as would, yeah. a, a terrible. The, the first round of the games wasn't too was, wasn't too good in the group stage, and then it's just slowly built up, um, culminating in well, say the best World Cup final ever. Uh, but. I don't think the overall quality was that good, but I think like the likes of Paredes and McAllister really they, they did various things in games um, alongside Messi, kind of supplying Messi. Rodrigo de Paul was always a a really kind of able henchman, if you like, um, in that midfield as well. I thought Martinez, the goalkeeper, for all his antics, love him or hate him, was was absolutely fantastic. Uh, I thought Griezmann was phenomenal up until yesterday, where he just yeah. you know he, yeah. he, that's what proved to me that they must be out. Because he's yeah, got too much experience yeah. as well, Griezmann, to, to, to just kind of cop out the game like that. He just he just wasn't on it at all. But him and Giroud, again, a guy who was subbed early yesterday, um, the two of them, they were absolutely fantastic in this World Cup. An absolute joy to watch. Um, you can't get away from Mbappe and Messi. They just, they, 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 just, they owned it. They owned this entire yeah. tournament, the, the, the two of them. But uh, I quite liked uh, the big chap uh, who plays at the back for Morocco, or plays kind of defensive midfield. Um, Mara, 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 yeah, they felt like Fiorentina, Sofia, but yeah, um, he was. I, I think I'm a bit biased towards him because he's from that part of the world. He's from North Africa. Um, I think he's actually. I don't know if he's born in North Africa, but he's, um, his brother was certainly born in, in, in the Netherlands. But he reminds me a bit of big boogie, big Bugera. Yeah. You know, yeah. I know he's Algerian, what have you, a bit patronising to, to to mix up two different North African uh, nations. But his energy was just uh, phenomenal. Um, he's a bit of a head case as well. He was quite a. I think it was the game against Portugal, the iconic quarterfinal, where I think Pepe missed a, a, an absolute sitter right at the end. But yeah. I think he'd actually, I think he had actually got like a one of his last remaining hairs onto it, just to slightly deflect it before Pepe. And well, Pepe's in the the depths of despair. He just turned around and, and he rubbed Pepe in the head as we can. Thanks very much, mate. You know, it's just like it's it absolutely brilliant. I thought I, th- I thought he was fantastic, and a, a, a special mention for Big Harry Suter uh, of Australia. Uh, yes. Brother, brother of our own, John Suter. I thought he was absolutely phenomenal. There was a few boys in that uh, Australia team you could have picked out. Were really, really uh, excelling and, and uh, exceeding expectations. But I think generally, football terms, it wasn't it wasn't a great tournament for many other teams. Uh, but for I think France and uh, Argentina dominated, but Croatia. I would take the entire Croatia team, including the right back. I would take every one of them. They were phenomenal. I like the the centre half Vardio. He was, yes. he was a really good tournament. Aye. He was a real no, standout for me. And I thought it was good that he scored. Um, it's a the... shame that he's kind of biggest highlight will be getting turned inside out by Messi. But and it's not... from that, I thought he had a good tournament. His, his biggest career highlight is still going to be setting up John Lundstrom for the winner uh, against Leipzig. Uh, yeah. <laughs> another beautiful another beautiful Croatian backwards header. Um, but I, I thought, no, I, I felt a bit sorry for him, but I think... Messi has done it to a, a, a lot better than than Gavardio. so he's in he's in good company. Yeah, definitely. Now, looking at the tournament as a whole, now we'd kind of spoke a lot about the off-field um, controversy around this tournament before it um, when we did the first day podcast. We covered it quite a bit. Is there anything that you've you've seen or read during the tournament? Have they changed any of your pre-tournament feelings or thoughts? Um, I know. I've kind of listened to a few things like The Guardian they did a good um, podcast the other day on kind of looking at some of this from the other perspective in terms of people that live in Qatar and, and what they think about having the World Cup there. 
you know, it, it doesn't justify it for me, but it, it definitely gives you a different perspective on it. But have you kind of changed any of your kind of pre-tournament thoughts or feelings? Not really, mate, no. Um, I think it's it's disgusting that it went here um, because of the way it went here as much as what's going on in Qatar on a daily basis. Um, and I'll never... I'm all... See, to be honest with you, see, last, last night, I think I've just watched the greatest game of all time, probably, when you combine the, the quality of the game with the, the actual you know, the status of the game, the fact it was a World Cup final, and within about half an hour, I made a mistake of going online, you know, going on Twitter, because you're just dying to chat about this kind of stuff, you know, and there's so many people who obviously haven't been watching our pods, uh, which we've, we've prefaced. Like, we're missing out, we're missing out. I know, I know, I mean, I mean, obviously we've got a few million watching us, um, but, you know, the, the few million who haven't, um, they've missed out on the fact that we've been prefacing every, a lot of the pods we've been doing with the fact that we understand exactly uh, why people would object to this uh, World Cup being here. I object to it being in Qatar. I hoped it failed. But I, I knew, I hoped it was going to be, you know, and in, in that kind of fatalistic way, you know, this is guaranteed this is going to end up being, like the final was the greatest final of all, you know. But yeah. I thought when Messi went up and got his little robe, um, got the robe put on, which looks really sinister. I think that summed up yeah. uh, what you're talking about, that, that, that particular Guardian article, if, if I'm guessing correctly. That's actually a sign. That's actually a, a mark of total respect eh, in Qatar. That's a, an, an honour, you know. Yeah. And I'm so biased against this World Cup being there because they killed workers. They killed thousands yeah. of people eh, building yeah. those stadiums. Some of these guys that you know, hundreds, thousands of them killed themselves because the conditions that were made to work in were so brutal, and then they're dying. But they have these close-ups of eh, the kind of aerial shots, wonderful yeah. aerial shots of these wonderful stadiums, and they're going down in the roof of the the Luceo iconic, which holds 90,000 people and goes way up into the sky. And it's got this magical roof. It's got a little lip inside the roof that looks, you know, as if it can shut over. And you think for two seconds, oh, that's really stunning. And they're thinking, unless you were building it and you fell yeah. from that and yeah. you were dead when you hit the ground and nobody cared. You know, um, it's yeah. 37 people. That's that's all they've said. 37 people died through work-related accidents, the Qatari authorities. And it's we know for a fact it's at least 6,500, probably closer to 10,000. So... Uh, it's been really disturbing, but when when Messi went up and got that robe, you're like, that looks that looks sick. And the fact that it was see through, yeah. you know, when you've just when in a country that oppresses women, uh, and other we're just seeing the the Qatari uh, Airways dolly birds with the you know the full makeup on, out looking glamorous. And I really thought, well, how does that tally up with the you know we like women to be covered up? And then there's Messi, and it was like a little basket was put like a see through thing, yeah. obviously so you can see his shirt. I thought, you know. And I thought that's disgusting. But then I, I realised later on, no, the other, the actual Qatari officials, the Emirates round about them, the Emirs round about them, they were wearing the exact same thing over the top of their regular clothes. You know, it's all see through, it's all mesh uh, all round. So I'm probably a bit, a bit disrespectful to that culture there. But and I think it's difficult to have a World Cup. I think it's right that it goes around the regions. Uh, but we saw Morocco, we saw Tunisia. You saw even Saudi Arabia, a country that's beheaded a hundred odd people this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you when you saw their fans, um, the atmosphere they brought compared to the Qatari fans, it's even more preposterous that they, that they picked Qatar. Um, yeah. It was only the money the, the Qataris only bought it because the Qatari fans couldn't have cared less. There'd be zero atmosphere at either at any of the three home games, um, whereas the Moroccans and. The, if you want to put it to the Arab world, give it to Tunisia, give it to Morocco, give it to Algeria. But football crazy countries but 
They wouldn't because yeah. they don't have the, the, the same amount of posh hotels and the same, you know, the kind of, the kind of infrastructure they couldn't buy the FIFA officials. Um, it's it's a, it's a thing we'll have to live with, um, Brian. Um, but I, I knew from the word go that it would eventually, I would get sucked in by the football because football is my life. You know, yes. the, the World Cup, the yeah. World Cup's a massive part of my life. Um, I don't, without getting too personal, it's something that it, it's got me through hard times and all that when I was a kid yeah. and, and what have you. Um, it's something I've kind of clung to, and it's the same for so many people. Uh, and football, football fans, it's always been a people's game, and we've always been treated like crap. We've always been surrounded yeah. by death. Yeah. We're in a stadium that's built the way it was built because of a disaster where yeah. supporters died. Um, we've supported a club that, you know, <laughs> it didn't sign a Catholic, didn't sign a player of another religion, you know, for you know, 80 years, 60 years, whatever it was, to watch that World Cup final last night and know it was the greatest game of all time and then go on to the abuse, you know, from both sides uh, yeah. on Twitter last night. You know, football fans supposedly telling another football fan like me that I shouldn't have watched this game, you know, and also the fact that I mention the human rights abuses all the time. Um, other people tell me to shut up about that and that, well, there's human rights abuses everywhere. So why do you care about that? Well, well, that's you should mention it whenever you get a chance to mention it. You know, it was just yeah. Yeah. like the, the magazine song, you know, um, I was shot by both sides, you know, but it was, that's what it feels like as a Rangers fan. For my whole life, it felt really natural. Every time we win something, the whole world hates us. We get told why we're evil, you know, so yeah. it, it, it's, only, it's only right that uh, the greatest World Cup final, I was also, we're also feeling a bit evil for watching it, but in this case, it was absolutely justified. And when Messi wore that, I thought we're all saying that's a, that's really ruined him lifting that World Cup. You know, the moment we're all wanting to see. But for me, no, it's only right. It's only right that I felt crap all day that people were criticising me for the way I watched this World Cup. And it's only right that Messi, every time we look at him lifting that World Cup, we'll be rem we'll, we will remember um, the absolute horror that FIFA given that World Cup to Qatar killed ten thousand people. Yeah, no, that should never be forgotten. Um, you mentioned there that the World Cup's been a massive part of your life. One of the questions I wanted to ask you, and one of the ones that I've been kind of pondering is, is the World Cup still the pinnacle of football for you, or has club football, and probably more specifically the Champions League, taken over from that? I, uh, yeah, I think it is, to, to, to coin a, you know, a, a well-known phrase, but in a different context, it is, but it is, you know, international football was supposed to be something that comes up rarely, you know, or, or much less frequently um, than club football, but when it does, it's more momentous for it. And I think it's still, I think it's still the case, but um, one of the many reasons Gianni Infantino has to go, one of the many reasons FIFA now have to go before anybody will believe in international football ever again is because he's trying to make it, you know, more frequent. I think he's won the World Cup every two years for a start. And then and now they've expanded it. It's already far too big, you know. Um, and this is one of the things I've got to guard against. This is one of the things of you get to my age. Typically, I watch a lot of you know guys my age when I was young watching them, and then you know I'm starting to feel it myself. You could sometimes you can just do without football. Even me, believe it or not, it's you get too old for it. And and the game does start. Life starts passing you by a bit when you get to my age because the the years go in so quick. And I remember my first World Cup it was sixteen. It was sixteen teams in it, nineteen seventy eight. And then the next one was 24 teams, and that was up until, I think, 1994. And then 98, until the present, it was 32 teams. It was already too much for 32 teams. Now that it's going to be, was it 42 teams or something? It's just, it's 48 teams. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's far too big. 
far too unwieldy and it's going to be I think if, if Infantino had his way he would play it more often as well because he gets more money uh, by moving it to different countries and having it every two years he's on a little war with UEFA so I'm thinking to myself well what we've got to do is en masse every country has just got to withdraw from FIFA it won't happen because the way the voting set up they make sure they, they, they keep the um, people people who really need money you know they keep them supplied uh, with the, yeah. the, the, the African nations all the African the Caribbean nations etc so they get enough votes to keep Infantino in place and to keep FIFA going the way it is but we have to try and do something just to get rid of FIFA and at least get rid of Infantino who is basically a dictator he has he's insane I mean you watch him wearing those trainers and trying to get in that photograph with Messi last night he could not yeah. let that World Cup go he could not oh, let it go. Yeah. He, he, he was almost, he, he couldn't actually find the wherewithal because he's so yeah. used to grabbing power and grabbing the limelight and grabbing glory with totally unchecked, with nobody telling him to stop, that he was actually wanting to go into the picture with the Argentina players to join in. He still yes. thought it was all about him, as yeah. did the Emir, you know, his kind of paymaster. Um, it was absolutely sickening. And the whole world can see this and they're letting it happen. Um, he's he's mixed with Putin and all that. He's, he's given the, the World Cup to dictators uh, left, right, and centre, and he's just he's become a dictator himself because FIFA is basically a country. It's got the wealth uh, of a of a small nation. He's he's got to go, and I'm thinking, well, at least but the thing is, it's actually, it's actually happened in club football. People with were going to withdraw from UEFA, but the reason they were withdrawing from UEFA was to make more money with the Super League. These are the top clubs were coming out of yeah. UEFA because they weren't getting enough power because the minute COVID something that hit us all. And again, football fans were made to feel guilty about COVID. Football players were supposed to be doing more in time of COVID. They were the first ones to get it. The yeah. same as we've all been told that, well, they're having Formula One in Abu Dhabi. You know, they've been having Club World Championships in in, in, in uh, Doha. They've been having the, the Super Cup, the Italian Super Cup finals have been in, in Doha. They, they, they've had plenty of stuff. The, the, the Asian Cup has been played in Qatar as well. Nothing was ever really mentioned about the human rights abuses then. It's suddenly the one thing that we've got, if you're as sad as me, or you're a working class boy like me from a Dross, and you've got the football in your life, but suddenly you're made to feel that you're responsible for killing these people um, because the World Cup's been played there. And the same thing happened like when we had COVID. It was football that was getting the neck while rugby and golf and that just carried on. And we had these clubs, first chance they got withdrawn from it. Liverpool was one of those clubs, a, a working class bastion, yeah. but yeah. they owned... Uh, by people who just are all about the money and it's I don't know where the game's going at all but in terms of the actual who who is the best it's always going to, because there's so much money in these clubs now the, the kind of super league clubs they will buy all the best players and the standard of football will be better you know because they're training together they're playing domestic football every week they're playing the Champions League I think the Champions League does definitely decide who is the best team on the planet it has done um, since the deregulation, the, the, the television coverage back in the 90s, since the Champions League started. Before that, yeah, the South American clubs were really good. Um, there wasn't many South American players coming over to Europe. They were still putting up a great fight in the, the uh, Intercontinental Cup, as it was then. They were winning most of them. But nowadays, it's undoubtedly the Champions League just buys all the best talent. Uh, and the World Cup, ironically, in football terms, is a thing of greater purity. But the way it's run by FIFA is even more corrupt than 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 UEFA, but we've got to have a, a long hard look at it, mate. Uh, how we how we run the game, but the fans are pretty powerless. Yeah, you've you've mentioned a lot of the kind of point I was going to touch on next. The kind of last point I'll go here that I was going to ask you about. You've mentioned a lot of the plans for the twenty twenty six World Cup in terms of the expanded tournament um, groups of three, all that sort of stuff. Are FIFA in danger here of ruining the World Cup for fans like me and you that are you know football daft? 
when it gets to 2026 and we come to decide whether they want it, we want to do another World Cup mini series. Could there be, you know, fans like us just deciding that I'm not having it, that's it, that's where I draw the line, sort of thing? Well, that's one of the things I started saying there, but because I've offered on too long and, and, and lost myself in my own conversation. But uh, you get to my age, you know, you've I've watched like you know my dad and all that. What's other people just kind of losing interest in football when they get to this age? And usually for good reasons, you know, it's uh, they've got to cut back money wise and they spend, you know, they uh, they've got family to look after and things like that. Uh, so I'm always being kind of counterintuitive, and that's why I knew that even though this World Cup was absolutely evil and should never have taken place, and I didn't I didn't really want to know about it. Um, I was just kind of hoping it would get moved at the last minute. Uh, I knew, I also knew that I was going to get dragged in and that I would watch it because I had to know, I had to know what's going on. Christ, it's not often I compare myself to Clint Eastwood, um, but there's a film, there's a film in, I know a lot of people out there would think, oh, Alec, he looks like Big Clint at his best, but there's a, there's a film he did years ago, uh, White Hunter, Black Heart. And it's basically all about the, um, he plays John Houston, basically the, the famous film director. Um, and the build-up to filming uh, the African Queen, famous film with Humphrey Bogart and uh, Catherine Hepburn, and he's a hunter. He, 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 and his spare time, he likes to hunt, and he's he won't he won't start filming because he wants to kill this massive white elephant, this massive elephant, this massive tusker. And at one point, the guy says to him, "Why are you wasting? Why do you want to do this? It's actually, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. It's no right to be killing animals anyway." And he says, "No, it's worse than no right. It's a sin." It's an actual like, mortal sin to do this. And that's why I want to do it, because it's, you can buy a licence, you get a gun, and you're allowed to do it. You're allowed. It's a sin you're allowed to commit, and everybody should commit a sin in their life. And I felt, that's just for some reason, that line stayed with me um, all these years, and I felt like it during this World Cup. That's what I felt like. I'm watching this World Cup because I know it's evil. You know, I want to know what's going on. Like the Guardian are there. Yeah. reporting on the football and um the 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 the, the social kind of uh, aberrations going on the the bbc are there you know re reporting on both uh, as well they're my kind of moral arbiters you know bbc losing it perhaps but you need to be involved to actually to make change and i i want i want, I want to be there but i think when it comes to expanding in terms of my actual love of football this world if it gets any bigger than this i, I really can't handle it i will be checking out Listen, but one, sorry, I'll say one more thing. One of the th things I always talk about is how, one of the things in my life that I would love to see corrected is Scotland getting to the second round in a, of a major tournament. We've qualified for a few tournaments in my lifetime, but we never get past the group stage. But at Euro 92, there was only eight teams in. There's only two groups of four at that point. That was a format of the Euros. And so Scotland were one of the top eight teams in Europe. You know, one of the top eight <laughs> countries in Europe. And we and we beat, I think we, we finished... Uh, second bottom of the group, so we put the old CIS uh, below us as well. Um, it, it's a kind of a misnomer. We're now going to, it's now going to get to a stage where Scotland could qualify for the second round of a tournament and there's still like 30-odd teams in it, you know? So it's 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 completely skewed it, and the idea that I could sit down and watch that many games on television, well, it'd take a month and a half or something, uh, it's just ridiculous. So you just check out and you don't start watching it until the, you know, the last 32, last 16 kicks off, but I think they're already rethinking the group stage because the group stage, this this one went so well, but a lot of the yeah. groups, you had teams could afford to lose the last group game because they were already through. Um, so they don't want to reduce it uh, any further, but I, I I think it's too unwieldy and I think it's going to get to the point where it would be physically impossible to watch the whole the whole tournament. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. Um, I think we'll wrap that up there, Alex. All that's left for me to do is remind the listeners that, as always, the pod is available on all your usual um, 
podcasting platforms and we've also got the articles and the forums on the Jersnet website, so check those out as well. Um, Alex, thank you very much for um, your time today and also for your time over the past four weeks doing these podcasts. It's been a pleasure. Um, Brian, it's been absolutely fantastic, mate. You have been a different class. There's no way this would have happened uh, without you. I'm going to say one thing, my... My my best buddy, who I watched a lot of World Cups with over the years, Andrew Ingles, siempre con nosotros, and uh, Brian, it's been absolutely fantastic, mate. You've a different level, and thanks very much for listening to all my ranting and raving. No worries, thanks for bringing the stats as always. As always. Um, all that's left for me to do is just um, give you some info on what's coming up on the network. We'll, um, there'll be another pod out on uh, Wednesday evening, um, looking back at the Aberdeen game and previewing our trip to Dingwall on Friday. Um, until next time, guys, bye for now.